Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And it's great to be here. Uh, Excited to be back. But I'll be honest with you guys. Um, I've been, you know, I'm I'm a guy that stays pretty consistent with my with my routine, especially as it relates to the mornings and and. Keeping a positive outlook in this business, staying positive, staying upbeat, staying constructive uh, is is immeasurably helpful uh, and I think necessary to do this job well for an extended period of time. Uh, but there are times where that gets tried, and I'll tell you, um, it, it has been like that for, for the last month or so. It, it has been maddeningly frustrating. If any of you are out there managing your own money, I'm sure you can relate. Uh, it has been maddeningly frustrating. Um, and it's not that it's, it's not so much things moving against us. We really haven't been going anywhere in our stock portfolios. I was telling this in the, in the intro, we really haven't been going anywhere in our stock portfolios for the last month and a half or so, little down, little up, kind of back and forth, grinding sideways, momentum portfolios bounce back a little bit, values down a little bit more than it was. Other than that, it's just been kind of a sideways grind. Um, What's frustrating is that the things that we're invested in, the underlying fundamentals of those things have not been boring. Um, And for our portfolios, they've been remarkably constructive. But this is an odd environment. And I was, again, in the intro saying, you know, I've been through some stuff. I, I ran a portfolio during 08-09. Obviously, I've gone every, through everything in the last 15 years through COVID. Nothing compares to this. Um, this is the most disjointed, frustrating, uh, wonky, volatile <laughs> And then you say it's volatile, right? If you just look at the tape, you'll see what I'm talking about. Then you flip over and look at the volatility index, and it just broke below 20. Uh, which what that means is a volatility index at 20 is the long-term average. Okay, so going back to the early 90s when the volatility index, the VIX, and and I'm not talking. If, if that sounds wonky, it's not. Basically, and I don't want to get huge into this. We could spend hours talking about the VIX, and as a matter of fact, I'm having Jim Carroll back on the show next week to discuss what's going on in the VIX, but it's fascinating. What happens, the VIX is pricing, the VIX is a way of looking at options. Um, And I'm trying to summarize this, and that's not, the the VIX is basically a way of looking at what kind of volatility, what kind of swings the market is expecting. And historically, the VIX responds, it goes up, Right. If you think about options, most most of the time, most of the time, options are used to hedge. Right. And the reason they're used to hedge is you can put on a little position. So if a bad event doesn't happen, that little position could lose 50, 60 percent of its value. But if it's only one or two, you know, like a one percent or a 50 basis point, per, you know, half a percent position or whatever, it's very minimal. It's like paying premiums on insurance. Right. It's not a big deal. But his but but. Those options, if done correctly, can make huge outside gains. Like we had some options on my clients that have been with us. I I couldn't put them in their accounts, but we had a small options trade betting against Boeing at the at the height of the deal, and uh, didn't get the didn't. Well, anyway, long story to describe. But we're trying to put the trade on a bigger. Anyway, long long story short, we really felt for those of you been listening for a while back in. March of 2019, we actually did a special on Boeing. Was it 2018 or 20? Uh, I think it was, maybe it was 2018. Anyway, right before the second plane crashed, um, God rest those souls, and um, put, a, put a small options trade, very small, 
when Boeing dropped from 440 to 390, that options position was up 550%, okay, in like a few days. Um, that's why people like to use options to hedge. You can put a very little position on, and if, you, and if, and if that bad event happens or something bad happens, you, you can get a huge outsize gain. Right. So if you're wrong and the bad thing doesn't happen, it doesn't chew up a bunch of your portfolio and you're not answering questions to clients. Hey, why are we down 3% when the market's up six? Right. We want to avoid those. So that can be very helpful. And so basically what the VIX does. So when, when bad things are happening in the market, you tend to see a lot more money flowing into options. And most of it, you know, you can bet options either way. You can buy calls, which make money when things go up. You can buy puts, make money when things go down. But again, for that dynamic, most often options are used for defense. So when when bad things are happening, like I was saying, or people think bad things are going to happen, you typically see the demand for insurance or those put options go up, and that elevates the VIX. And basically, think of the VIX as like a pricing mechanism. Right. For instance, if you show me the VIX at 40, I don't even need to look at the options market to know that if I think something bad's going to happen and the VIX is at 40, I probably need to look somewhere else because that means that insurance is very expensive. The flip side of that is if the VIX is at 15, it, it, it means that most likely now it depends on individual securities and what you're looking at. But if the VIX is at 15, it means that the market expects smooth sailing. Or really, if the VIX is anywhere but at 20 or below, it means the market expects smooth sailing. And, you know, it's, it doesn't mean bad things can't happen, but it means nobody's really rushing to buy insurance. So think about this market. Think about everything we're dealing with. And yesterday, the VIX just closed below 20. It's at 19. It's pretty wild. Now, now here's the problem, though. For a variety of different reasons, and we're going to talk to Jim Carroll about this, a guy that specializes and has been trading the VIX for 20 years. We're going to talk about it with him next week. Um, it doesn't mean what people think it means. The underlying behavior of market participants has changed drastically, and it is really messing up the VIX or, or what the VIX has historically meant what it was me you know what it's been used for the the purpose of it and what's interesting guys is when you look at this market you see situations like that all over the place for instance now again the, these are just short things and and weird things can happen in markets over short periods of time so i'm not I, you know i'm not like freaking out and saying oh my gosh pull all your money i'm just saying i've never seen so much disjointedness over short and medium term scenarios in markets. I mean, you always expect some wonky action, but I mean, this thing is, I mean, this, this is, this is a whole new ball game. It's a whole new ball game. And, uh, <laughs> what you're seeing is, you know, for instance, over the last six days, last six trading days, oil has rallied about 10% between 10 to 11% over those same days, right? The same days oil companies are down about four and a half, right? Pretty wild. And no, there's no news or legislative action or anything to explain, to explain that. And it, it goes on, right? Fed reiterated a 50 basis point rate hike that spurred a 5% rally on the NASDAQ, Right. Why do I point that out? People are like, well, Zach, you're just mad because the market's going against you. No, we actually didn't even have any shorts on the NASDAQ at the time because we were afraid of that happening. But, but why that's unique is, guys, this is math. Okay, this is not my opinion. This is math. When interest rates go up, stocks are worth less. They are. And... I think there's a lot of reasons why this stuff is happening. I, you know, it's never the, I know you guys have heard me on the radio say this a hundred times. It's never the silver bullet answer, right? There's never one clean reason for why markets are doing something or this or that or whatever the case may be. It's, it's always a confluence of events. These are very complex, dynamic systems, right? With so many inputs 
and so many players and so many, you know, conflicting ideas and conflicting purposes and all, you know, all these different things. So it's very, very, very complex. But what you don't see is this breakdown. It's just, it's just chaos. And um, I, I think that a lot of that has to do with just the, the bizarreness of the current scenario, meaning that no investor alive has ever navigated a, a, a market just like this. And people are like, well, you can say that about every market. Yeah, that's you, you, to, to a certain extent, that's correct. But, but this is a completely different ballgame, right? For instance, there has never been a, a year in which the markets were as down as much as 25 to 35% and the VIX had not risen above 40. Never happened. Right this year, you topped out at thirty-seven. You're sitting there down with the Nasdaq still down twenty-three, twmentyfour percent on the day. S and P down fifteen. VIX is at nineteen. They, that's crazy. Never happened. Do any of these things signal one screaming thing? No. But I think when you start putting these inconsistencies together, I think there's a mosaic that kind of starts making some sense. And and we'll really get into that. But. Uh, you know, just say, like I've said to you guys before, this show is as much therapy for me as it is informative, a way for me to sort through my thoughts and frustrations and things like that and then share them with you and hopefully we can make sense out of them. But anyway, let's get the market update. So what's really going on this week? Obviously, Powell came out and discussed uh, interest rate policy. Um, I, <clears throat> the Fed is really, you guys know I'm not a huge fan of the Federal Reserve, I think for obvious reasons. Um, but I really, I, I think these guys are really, I, I just, I think that they're way off the rails. Um, I, they are, I don't, I, and I don't have an explanation for what they're doing. Um, one minute they're coming out talking tough and usually within 24 hours of that, somebody else from the fed is coming out and saying, well, you know, we're not going to necessarily do that. I, I think what they're trying to do is have their cake and eat it too. I think that they're trying to continue raising rates and snuff out inflation and still yet try to be supportive to the stock market. Maybe they're not. They're going to try to claim that they don't care about the stock market. I think they've proven over the last 15 years that that's not true. I mean, I, I, I just, they have proven it. I'm just saying like, you know, I don't know what they're saying behind the scenes, but I just, whatever it is, it's ridiculous because you see them make comments. on. I mean, if you were truly trying to snuff out inflation, you'd come out, you'd talk tough. You'd probably at least once prepare the market for a 50 basis point rate hike and you'd throw 75 at them just once just to rock the boat because markets and financial markets tend to be big participants and tend to be big drivers of inflation, right? As markets go up, people have more money. They got more money to spend. So watching them try to have their cake and eat it too, it's just, it's bizarre. It's frustrating. And, and I'm not really sure why. I mean, you got a market trading at 21 times earnings. Okay. Would it help you combat inflation if you knocked it down to 16? Of course it would. So why aren't you doing that? And I don't have an answer for that. It's really, it's really odd to me. Now, I think that the underlying economy is going to do the work for them. And perhaps that's what they're, you know, perhaps that's the issue. Perhaps they're afraid to talk tough because I, you know, maybe they're looking at the same underlying data that I am and realize that, you know, things are not quite as robust as they seem yet. Inflation is remaining persistent. I mean, who knows, right? We're speculating and I don't want to get off the rails speculating, but um, it's really bizarre. And, and what's crazy is Every rate hike this year has spurned a big rally. Now, eventually, that rally has rolled over and led to new lows. I don't see any indications that this will not do the same. As a matter of fact, I think it will. Um, but there's also some really interesting setups that we need to take. Uh, we need to pay attention to here. And we'll and we'll I'll dig into that. I'll, I'll explain exactly what that setup is in a segment called "Bears Be Warned." We'll, we'll, we'll cover that up next. Those of you out there uh, that are like me, um, that think that this, uh, this economic picture is pretty clear, which it is, uh, and think it will translate to lower asset prices, which I certainly believe it will, um, there are some risks to that outlook in the near term. And, and you know, look, this is not a, the, investing is not a business of being right philosophically. Right. Um, when things change or things go against what you think, you got to adjust. 
And so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll lay that out in the next segment. But let's wrap up here with the stuff that I think is important that we need to take a look at. Um, the other one that came out, look, there, there is so much talk about recession, no recession, all that kind of stuff. You guys know my opinion on that. Um, I find it to be sort of a ridiculous argument, um, meaning that we've already hit, (laughs) we've already hit all the classical definitions of a recession. And now people are saying, well, according to the BLS, you know, Bureau Bureau of Labor Statistics and, you know, recession isn't, you know, guys, I've heard this at every single, you know, every single, you know, I remember hearing the same stuff in 08. And I think we need to put things into perspective. Okay. Um, Markets, for whatever reason, and I think that this has become increasingly true in the last 15 years, and I think a lot of it has to do with Fed intervention, meaning that, you know, for the last 15 years, every single time something went bump in the night, the Federal Reserve ran to the rescue and sprayed more liquidity into the system and ramped QE and, and, you know, did all these things to boost things, uh, you know, to prop things up. And, uh, you know, that creates feedback loops that creates that changes investor behavior. And, and I think that that's a lot of what you're seeing is that there's just this no there's, there's no fear of loss. I think that the VIX is showing that as well. And if you listen to markets and people talk about, Oh, the bearishness, the bearishness guys, there is no bearishness. Okay. So whenever you see people put those surveys up, just disregard them. Okay. Look at the facts, look at where the market's at. Right, the market's still trading what twenty five percent above where it was at the beginning of twenty twenty. Right, you're still sitting at twenty two times earnings, <laughs> with, with energy included in that metric. So the underlying market is probably twenty five, twenty six times earnings. Nasdaq's at thirty. Right, there is no bearishness, none. Right, VIX below twenty. I mean, it, it's just nonsense. And oh, it's been a bad, horrible year, guys. Markets going from 33 times earnings to 22 ain't exactly the end of the world, right? I mean, they never should have been that high. It's ridiculous. So, you know, we've got to put things into context here. And, but, but like I said earlier, we've got to be aware of the other side of the coin because we can always be wrong. And, you know, our job that, you know, it's, it's one of the natures of being an investor and investing money. Your job's to be right. Right, your job's to make money and not to lose it, and it doesn't really matter what you think or how you think it should be. You got to play the game in front of you. What's difficult right now is you can't really figure out what game is going on, right? And when you get into situations like this, guys, sometimes the best answer is just to de-risk, right? Especially if you manage retirement money, de-risk and sit on your hands and you know see what's going on. Um, but these, these periods of times are really ridiculous. But like I was saying earlier, it reminds me a lot of 2008. And why do I say that? Well, as a guy that was short housing, not nearly as much as I should have been. I was very young in my career. I did not understand the way that that feedback loop would, you know, I didn't understand the banks. I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you I called the whole thing. But I thought real estate was going down and it was going to hit the market. You know, I had no idea what we were going into. But I remember... That summer, I believe Bear Stearns folded up and Countrywide Financial, and I think at that time it was the biggest mortgage lender, mortgage servicing company in the, in the country, went down. You saw unemployment starting to rise, foreclosures start, right? You saw it. I mean, you're sitting there watching it in slow motion going, this thing's going down. Then you looked at the banks. The banks were the most profitable sector in the market. You're like, the banks are going to get hit. Again, didn't know how bad because what do you do? Banks lend, Right. So there's not going to be as much lending. And, you know, you're sitting there watching it going, this picture is so clear. And I remember that summer of 2008 pulling my hair out going, what am I missing? I don't understand. Because on September 1st of 2008, you, the market was only down like 13, 14% from its high. Kind of like right now, right? Very similar. And people were like, you know, the worst is in. All the same stuff was getting prated out there. It's a bump. Right. Remember the remember the movie, The Big Short. Oh, it's a gully. Right. There are all these terminal. It's going to get better. It's not as bad. The worst is priced in. Boom. On, on September 1st, the market was at a level where you were down like 13, 14 percent from the highs. Two weeks later, Lehman fell and the whole world start falling apart. Now, I'm not saying it's the same thing's going to happen again. I'm not expecting it to happen exactly the same or whatever. But but the complete dismissal 
of reality is, 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 if nothing else, it's shockingly intriguing. Like I said, there, you don't, you're not going to be bored in this market. But it's that same thing. And I think the longer expansions go, the more denial there is at the top. And, you know, I hear people saying recession's priced in. The market's pricing that in. Yeah, I, I'll just tell you guys, with interest rates where they're at, a market trading at these levels, at 22 times earnings on the S&P, nearly 30 on the NASDAQ, that's pricing in growth. Bottom line. That's what that's pricing in. Okay, so I, you know, they... <laughs> That's one of the other really tough things about this, this market right now is usually when you're looking at news in a backdrop that's this, in my opinion, ugly, there's usually really good buys. Now, I think energy is still very much that sector, but that's all, that's about it. You know, are there good companies out there that you'd like to own? Yes. I'm not saying that. Are they at good valuations or bargains? Not even close. Not even close. Well, look at big tech, Zach. You know, it's got guys go look, go look at the ranges that a lot of those big tech. We use Apple as an example during this entire expansion. Apple's traded an average of like somewhere in, you know, the 18 to 15 to 18 priced earnings, 16 to 19 in there. You're currently at what, 23, 24, the top end of the range. So it's, it's, it's a really, really bizarre environment. Like I said, I've just never seen so many things disjointed. All these people saying, what a tough year. And then you look at it and you go, VIX is under 20 markets trading at 22 times. What are you talking about? And, and to think that the market's trading at 22 times earnings when the fed funds rate by the end of the year is going to be up to four, four and a half percent, a 450 basis point or percentage increase in the fed funds rate yields 22 times earnings on stocks. I just think we're in Neverland, guys. And I think I know who at some point this dream bubble market that we're in is going to pop, but we're not there yet. Um, but let's let's talk about why we might be close, but we could also be on the edge of a really dumbfounding rally. And we'll bring that up in the next segment. As always, guys, if you are interested, if you want to know how we're down three to four percent on the year. Considering that the 60-40 stock portfolio is still down 20, NASDAQ's down 25, S&P's down 50. How do we do that? Give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. If you're tired of your advisor telling you, just stay the course. If you're asking yourself, why am I paying to stay the course? I think that's a very logical question. I think it's a good question. I think it's the right question. Call us. See what the other side looks like, Right? See what having risk management in your portfolio actually looks like. Be able to sleep at night. It's like an email I got the other day from a great client of ours thanking us, saying, you know, I've, this is the first time I haven't worried about my investments. I know you guys are all over it. If that's the kind of peace of mind, knowing that people are watching it 24 hours a day, making adjustments, they're not going to tell you, ride it out. They're not going to have you in bonds paying 2% and walk you right into a 25% loss on an investment that's paying you 2 if that seems valuable to you, which it should, give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. Follow me on Twitter, at KYR Radio. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Due to all the money printing from central banks in the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation has hit, I'm sure you're aware. And inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion of bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. This shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. 
Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. Okay, so I teased this a little bit. But what what is happening here? What do I find so interesting? Well, <clears throat> one and we've talked a lot about this. And if you if you if you've listened for any extended period of time, you guys would know that pretty much I, I am very much a fundamental investor. Uh, always have been, it's the way I view the world. And I think a lot of your, you know, I, I, I think investing is kind of like sports. You know, for instance, you look at me, I'm five, nine, two Oh five. Okay. Now for those of you that have never met me, I can promise you that I'm not obese, even though my, uh, what is it? BMI. I actually, I went and got, this is a, I, I'm wandering here, but I got life insurance and, uh, I did not get the best rate. Now, my vitals were great, but I did not. It wasn't. I think it was just like one notch down from the best rate because according to the BMI, I was morbidly obese. Now, I have a 32-inch waist. (laughs) I'm not. I work out three to four times a week. I eat very well. Uh, You know, I'm probably like 11 to 12% body fat somewhere in there. But my point in bringing all that up is that there are right. I am five, nine, two Oh five. A lot of that, I wouldn't naturally be that heavy. A lot of that was from football and weightlifting and all that kind of stuff. And you know, once you lift weights, it's really hard to stop. And, uh, anyway, so probably naturally I should be more like five, nine, one eighty, probably. But my whole point is, is even at five, nine, one eighty, you know, I'm not going to play center on the basketball team, right? I'm not going to be a starting left tackle, Right. Um, <laughs> probably not going to be a world-class sprinter, right? Just, it, it doesn't fit the typical metrics and investing is the same way. Like you, you, people are born with, you know, ways of looking at things, styles, if you will. And you'll see that with every great investor, right? There's different styles. There's different way to look at things. And I'm very much a fundamental guy. And when it comes to technical analysis, and for those of you who don't know, what technical analysis is, is it's basically looking at charts and patterns, right? And I used to think it was witchcraft and voodoo, but it's not. Meaning what I've come to understand is that it really more, it's really has to do more with um, market structure, right? And then also human behavior. Now, I am also a fundamental believer that, that, in my view, technical analysis should not tell us what to buy or sell, but I think it should be a pretty pretty important input on when to buy and sell something. So we look at it uh, and we watch it. And we take it into consideration. So looking at the charts and, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can see on charts resistance levels where maybe, you know, six or seven times in the past six years, the stock has gotten up to this level and then it always sells off. Right. Um, what it means is that, you know, if, if there's something that you want to buy, let's say there's something that I think has tremendous value and I see a pattern like that, I'll keep an eye on it and wait for that thing to break through that level. Right. It's, uh, because I've already established that I want to own it. I think it's got value. And if I see a level like that, I'll, my attitude is great. That thing checks off all the boxes. I just want to see it get through that level first and prove that this time it's not just going to fall right back down, right? So, so I think that technical analysis is important. And I think that it's probably, well, it can be just as important in bear markets or, or, or bull markets. But then you get into technical analysis where you go into things like 200-day moving averages. Now, a 200-day moving average is exactly what it sounds like, right? So if we've got something that's trading you know, let's say Apple stock, and we can use Apple as an example. Everybody knows it. I think Apple's traded in a range of like 126 on the low side to like 180 and change on the high side. 
My guess is I don't have it in front of me, but I would say over the last 200 days, I would think the moving average on Apple is probably right around 140 to 150, somewhere in there, the 200-day moving average. So it kind of gives you the average level that that thing has been trading at for the last 200 days. And what's really fascinating about markets right now is as we speak, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is slightly above its 200-day moving average. It's, yeah, it's a few percentage above. The S&P is right on it. As a matter of fact, right now it's sitting at 4065 on the S&P. The 200-day the moving average, I believe, is 4600. The NASDAQ is trading about three and a half to f- about three and a half, four percent away from its 200-day moving average, which is right around 12,000. So all of these indexes are approaching their 200-day moving averages at the same time they're converging. And then what's interesting is if you draw a channel, now let's think of the market this year, right? It's gone down, but you've had these rallies. So let's draw a line and have that line touch the top end of every one of those rallies, right? So you see the market go down, then it spikes back up. So we go to the top of that spike and we draw a line that touches most or all of those rallies. And then we do the same thing on the bottom of that channel, right? We draw a line that touches all of the bottom marks, right? The lows, over that period of time. So you have this channel in a bear market, that channel is going up or excuse me in a bull market. That channel is going up into the right in a bear market. That channel is going down into the right. So right now we have that channel and these markets have stayed inside that channel religiously this year. And we've been tracking that channel literally since February and market gets to the top end of that channel. Every single time we've shorted it, ridden it back down taking profits on the way, and then closed out most of our shorts at the bottom. One time we pressed it because we thought it'd break through. It didn't. But bottom line is you you can kind of use that as a guide. And what's interesting is that all three of these indexes are bumping up against their 200-day moving averages. And those 200-day moving averages are also coming in right at the top of that channel. Okay. So you've got your 200-day moving averages, you've got your channels, then you flip over and look at the dollar index, right? I've been saying a DXY above, dollar index above 105 is one of the five horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, in the last two days, the DXY has peaked below 105. Its moving average is right at 105. Now, as of right now, it's trading at like 104.60. That isn't enough. That it, that doesn't sit, That's not a clear signal that it's going to break through yet. But when you have all of those things lined up, all bumping up against their 200-day moving averages at the same time and hitting the tops of channels, you need to pay attention to that because it's telling you something, right? And this is where I'm saying bears be warned because if you break through, okay, if all, regardless of what the outlook looks like, And it doesn't guarantee the end result, and I don't think it will matter in the long run with this market either. But what I am telling you is if you are bared up, if you think this market's going to crash, if you think we're going lower, and, and even more so if you're trying to short this market, okay, now is a time where you need to be very cautious, and I don't care how bearish you are. If all three of those indexes close above their 200 day moving averages and stay there for you know, let's call it two to five business, two to five trading days. And the dollar index continues lower and stays below its 200 day moving average. You really don't want to be short that market guys. That's again, should it? No, but this isn't, this is where I say we play the game in front of us, right? The market doesn't care about our philosophical leanings, right? The market does not care about what we think is going to happen. So we just, you need to be careful here. And if you're short this market now, having said that, I will tell you this. I think it's actually a pretty good idea to put a short on here. Now, I'm not advising you do that. This is not advice. I'll just walk you through the logic. Why do I think one of the things that I talk to our guys about all the time is we don't short things outright. And when we remember, just as you guys know, shorting is just it's a it's a it's a you're making a bet or an investment that makes money when that thing that you're betting on goes down. Okay. So if we're long something, we're betting it goes up. We're short something, we're betting it goes down. So what I try to tell our guys is I want, if I'm putting a short on, 
I want to put it on at a place where if I'm wrong, I'll find out really quickly and it won't cost me a lot of money, right? If I'm wrong, I want to find out quick and I want to get out of the way. And that's where, so a lot of people would look at this setup and they're like, you got to get bullish here. And I sit there and I go, why, why? They're like, well, cause it could break through. And you're like, well, why don't I wait and see? Right. Why, why, why wouldn't I just wait and see if it broke breaks through, if it closes above those 200 day moving average, we can adjust. But I also look for opportunities like this to short because it allows me to go bigger onto the short side and I'm going to lose very little if I'm wrong, because right. The, 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 the prove it mark, especially in a market like this is only a percent or two ahead, above us. Right. And if it can get there and then hold there, then you pull your short off. And you get out of there with minimal loss. So I would not advise any of that right now. Like I said, th- this, is, this market, in my estimation, is chaos. Um, I, it, as wild as it sounds, I feel like we've been disconnected from underlying fundamentals and valuations for quite a while. It's getting worse. Um, like I said, you're seeing it in real time. You're seeing, you know, like I was saying, oil, when oil goes up, companies that have and sell oil go up in value, right? I mean, just intrinsically. I mean, it doesn't matter what the market says. That company's worth more, right? If oil goes up 10% and they've got the equivalent of, you know, 50 million barrels of oil in the ground, that company's worth more money than it was prior to oil going up 10%. Then you look at the market, it's the, the, those stocks are down four or five. Um, does that mean you need to sell? No, but what it does mean is you need to recognize the environment you're in. And this is a food fight. This is, this is nuts. You're watching tech stocks get hammered and then, you know, starting to approach some semblance of normalcy. And then for whatever reason, they go on a vicious run to the upside. You're watching oils shoot, shoot up and oil stocks go down at the same time. It's just chaos. You're watching days where the market's down two two and a half percent. The VIX is red. Uh, I'm just saying that I, I don't think... And again, for somebody that's managed money for a long time through, through well, a long time for me, 15, 16 years, um, I think one of the most important things you can do is recognize when you don't understand what's going on. And when that happens, de-risk, right? And sit back and wait for it to play out. It's just applying that discipline. If you don't understand what's going on, quit reacting to irrational market moves and just sit back and play it safe. Don't lose money. What is Buffett's three rules of managing other people's money? Number one, don't lose money. Number two and rules number two and three are C rule number one. Just don't lose money, right? Risk, manage your risk. And that's what we do here. And if that interests you, which I think it should, and if it, and if it doesn't, unfortunately, I think it's going to in the next year or two. And, and like I said, whatever you're hearing, and we'll get into the economic reality of what's currently going on uh, in the next segment, but this isn't over. Uh, but what I would watch out for, I would not at all be surprised. Again, recognize the environment we're in. Do I think this is going to happen? No, I think we're at the top end of the range and I think this thing's going to dump again. Am I sure? No, never sure. Okay. And I would not be shocked at all to see the S&P try to push back to even by the end of the year. Why? I, I mean, what's another 14, 15% run in a market that is this, that is this disconnected from reality? It's nothing, right? And, and markets typically do what hurts the most amount of people. And, you know, whether that's to the upside or the downside at this point, I don't know. I just know it's an environment where you really need to manage risk and the top priority should not be making money, right? This is not an environment where you go, hey, we got to get out there and make money while the sun is shining. The sun ain't shining, man. It's pouring down rain, right? And I think we need, there, it's, it's just like life. There are times where we're, go, you know, athletics. There's times where we're going deep for the touchdown. There's other times where we're playing it safe. Now is the time to play it safe. Again, if the mistake you make investing is making a little less money. Okay. Right. Just don't make the mistake a big loss, right? That's, that's basic risk management philosophy. And I think that that is grotesquely missing in retail investors or, or in retail investment portfolios these days, right? Your risk management was supposed to be the bonds. The bonds are down 20%. It reminds me of a conversation we were having with a prospective client the other day. And, you know, the client was talking about the performance of their portfolio and they were interviewing some other advisors and they're like, 
you know, you guys, this other advisor had this, this plan all lined out and, you know, why aren't you guys like that? And where's the planning side of it? And I looked at him, I said, do you want me to give you a plan that means absolutely nothing? They go, what do you mean? It means nothing. And I said, well, for instance, a plan is based on assumptions. Given this economic backdrop, what do you think the stock market assumptions should be over the next 10 years in the plan? They're going to tell you that stocks will average 11%, even though that's historically never happened. What do I mean by that? When valuations are in this range, the typical return on the stock market is somewhere less of 3% a year over the next 10 years. That's the average. So why are we putting in an 11% average? In order to make a financial plan, we've got to put in an assumption about uh, uh, inflation. You know what's built the built-in assumption to all these financial plans that you guys are looking at? 25 to 3% inflation. I don't know what inflation will be over the next 10 years, but I doubt it's going to be two to three. What rate should we put in for bonds? Who knows? So this is my point. Why do they push financial plans? Because they're selling certainty. They're acknowledging that they cannot help you on the investment side. They're just going to put you in the stock market. Okay. So when you're, when you see a plan focused advisor run the other way. You can get the exact same software on the internet for free yourself. If you want one of those plans, shoot, we can run. We've got two of the most expensive planning software programs uh, in the business. We barely ever use them for the reasons I just stated. And I always look at people with the plan and I go, you want to know the plan that works the best? You having more money, (laughs) right? Now, Now, do we plan income? Yes. But building a financial plan and saying, if we stay on this track, we should have $3 million by guys, throw it away, especially in an environment like this. There's nothing average. The plans are built on average. Average is the one thing that I am sure is not going to play out over the next five to 10 years. Now, maybe it'll be better than I think, right? You can't say that there aren't possibilities of these things happening. I mean, you know, anything can happen, but this is the problem I see with planning and this is the problem I see in retirement, you know, anyway, it's, it's, there's so much nonsense out there. I'm actually thinking about doing an hour long special about how to pick a financial advisor. And it's going to be done in a way that is not pointing everybody to us. Okay. I just want to educate people and arm you with some knowledge because it's so lacking. Anyway, as always, give us a call 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back to tie things up. Got one more segment left. Don't miss it. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free book Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. All right, so let's get to this quick here. Um, <clears throat> got about five minutes left. and want to make it worthwhile, five or six. I, You know, negotiating this market, all the things that we've said about how chaotic it is and how detached from... And again, I'm not saying the market's wrong. What I'm saying is it's just whipping wildly like it can't get any traction and doesn't know what's going on. Yet at the same time, all of the information it's getting is negative. Right. So maybe the market's right. Maybe it's not going to end negative. I don't really see how that happens. But um, again, I don't always want to assume that I'm the one seeing it correctly and everybody else is wrong. That'll get you in trouble in this business. 
But but it did help me, you know, in times like these, I try to sit back and find ample amounts of time, whether it's in my day or over the course of the weekend or whatever it is, to, to, to try to steal away for a few hours, usually by myself, and to just think, right? Have nothing on and just think and walk through things and try to contextualize it in a way that <clears throat> helps me get my mind around, you know, what's going on in a market or an economy. And one of the things that hit me the other day that I think is a really good way to explain this is when you look at an economy and if we think about market cycles, like so recessions and expansions and things like that, I think it's really helpful to think of it like an NFL football team, okay? And what do I mean by that? Well, when an NFL football team falls on hard times, a recession, what do they typically do? They typically get rid of their older, higher paid uh, players, right? Because they know that, Hey, we're getting our tails kicked and, and the way this, the way this team is composed is not working. Right. And then because they get really bad, you know, cause they lose a lot of games, they get better draft picks. Right. And they start drafting good young players at the top of the draft. And usually that quote unquote rebuilding process takes two to four years. And then hopefully if they've got good management and they got good coaching, they go on a run. Think of the Seahawks. Pete Carroll took them over on a downswing, right? 2010, had some really good draft classes, 2011, 2012, end up in the Super Bowl in 13, 14, were contenders for the Super Bowl for the next several years. And then those guys started getting old, right? And then we had to get rid of those guys, get rid of Russ, start over, start drafting more guys, building back up. And those teardown areas where we sell those old vets, right? That's like a recession. You go through the hard times, but hopefully the hard times make you better. You get better draft picks. You pick good players. You come back on the winning side of things, right? I think that's, I think that's how we have to look at that. And I look at this market. And, and I think one of the things that is really happening is there really are, you know, the last two and a half years in this market are really unlike anything else we've ever seen. And I think the way to understand the last two and a half years is using that football analogy, but rather than using the typical six to eight year span of recession, then turning into expansion and then good times are here again and markets hit new highs. I think that what you did there is you sort of condensed a typical six to eight year economic cycle down into a two, two and a half year period, right? You had the recession, the COVID, the crash, okay? Then you had the Fed response, boom, the comeback things, right? It's like you just took a typical economic cycle and just shrunk it down by like 75% and condensed it down into it. Now, what's interesting about that is that economic mini cycle comes at the back end of the biggest, longest bull market in U.S. history. And I think that's what's really interesting, meaning the bull market excesses. In so many ways, whether you look at, you know, profit margins reached record highs, debt levels reached record highs, all of these, you know, these, these, these stacked back and forth bull market runs, the little one and the big one, right, has kind of created this environment now where you see all of these bull market excesses and bull markets behaviors on steroids, right? It's like people buying short dated calls still. Right. People are betting on stocks, buying options that expire a week or two in the future because those are the options that pay the most money if they're right. Right. That is gambling. And even after the nasty way this year is gone and the way it started, you still see record levels of that stuff. So the bear market or the bull market attitude, the bulls on parade type attitude is still very much there. This market is still behaving as if it's in the top of an expansion, while literally everything, everything around it and underneath it starts to erode. A market that's oblivious to higher interest rates. And guys, this isn't based on economic strength. This is based, in my opinion, on monetary excess and people being anesthetized to risk. Meaning the Fed has saved them every single time. And it's created this feeling of invincibility in markets but guess what? The Fed's gone. But this is where you've got to be careful because if you're betting against markets, you have to understand that we're still very much in that, that mindset of the average. Whether they're right or wrong, 
It doesn't mean you can't lose 30 or 40% trying to short this pig. Okay, do I think it's short-worthy? Absolutely. I think this market's going to get smoked. I think it's going to go a lot further down than most people think. I actually think it's going to go down further than I previously thought, even three or four months ago, just because of what's happening in the behavior. But you've got to be careful on both sides. Risk management is not just about not participating in losses to the downside. It's also about not getting bushwhacked while markets are going up. And if you want that type of thought or that type of structure in your portfolio, which you should, it's what you deserve. That's what a fee should buy you. Call us, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. Guys, there's a better way. There's a better way to where when this thing absolutely gets smoked and you ain't seen nothing yet, for the people out there like I'm waiting for it to rebound, you've gotten your rebound, guys. It's at 22 times earnings with the economy just falling apart around it, right? There's a better way. Call us. 866-779-RISK, 866-779-RISK. Anyway, we got to run. Have a great weekend. Go Hawks. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management. Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.